Welcome back to the last half hour of Gesundheit with Jacobus. Uh, my name, Jacobus Holloway, uh, Chuck Martel, making sure that everything is running uh, as smooth as possible. And we have Dana Mikkel with us in the studio talking about his work dealing with couples and, and, and people focusing on long-term relationships as well as the sexual desire, the, the, the intimacy, the uh, healthy sex in a relationship. And uh, we have a caller who would, is on hold who would like to get involved in the conversation. What is your name, please? Good morning to you. And how can we help you? Uh, yes, I wanted to know um, some of the books that he mentioned. Yeah, good uh, point. If he could repeat them because he didn't have time to write them. And uh, would these be his top five? And also, if if there was somebody young that's getting married and you wanted to give them a, a, a book as a gift, uh, which one would it be? Oh, good point. Well, good questions and good morning to you. Um, two books that I've been referring to mostly this morning is the first one is titled Mating in Captivity. Mating in Captivity. Yes. Um, subtitled Unlocking Erotic Intelligence, and it's by Esther Perel. That's P-E-R-E-L. Um, that's a very accessible book with lots of examples, um, examples of couples dealing with things, and I think that that would be real helpful. And um, the other book I would suggest is um, Intimacy and Desire. It's by David Snarch, N-S-C-H-N-A-R-C-H. Um, and I think both of these books are, you know, well-based psychologically, and uh, they offer some uh, really useful uh, ways to think about relationships. Hmm. Great. Thank that's, you. That's good. Good question. Thanks very much for doing that. There is... Um, Let's see. Uh, we were just we were just discussing. Um, you know, I, I I I thought that the talk about the outer circumstances, trying to control the outer, is like you say. We need to really do work on the inner in order to bring the best that we have to offer to our partner, and that is work that continues as we age. So, as we you were talking about a, a couple in the seventies that you saw who was doing the work on themselves and had a very strong relationship. I think that's the paradox or the dilemma. What you might want to say is that, yeah, you need to bring the focus back home to your, to your own self and to yeah. confront yourself. Yes. That the only soul you're going to save is your own. And um, you need to have a good, strong, healthy soul to bring to a relationship if you'd like to be successful. Yeah. Uh, what always seems to happen for all of us is we get focused on the external. Uh, you know, for instance, we all say to our partner, you made me feel this way. Uh-huh. But just think about those words. You made me feel. There's no personal accountability for owning that feeling. You're assigning the feeling to, to the other person rather than, hey, that was my feeling. Um, you know, even that, that phrase right there is externalizing the whole process rather than, you know, asking the question, I feel this way. Why do I feel this way? Yes. What is it in my way of thinking and making sense out of things that caused me to have this feel? Hmm. Um, yeah. The, the irony of the situation is that if a strong couple is made up of two strong individual separate souls. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Not that the relationship doesn't get worked on. It, it's going to have to get worked on. Mm -hmm. But the work gets done from a base 
which involves certain capacities that come from having taken care of business at home first. Yes. So if a man says, yes, dear, all the time, that may not be <laughs> that may not be the right approach. Well, maybe in that relationship it works. Um, well, works to accomplish what? You know, and again... Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it could be, it could work for them in their relationship. There may be times when that is the thing to say. And, 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 but if that's the case, there's undoubtedly going to be times when, you know, you would not say that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I mean, I think, uh, again, on the face of it, you, you can't make assumptions about statements like that. However, if someone says that all the time, I would suggest that there's no genuine interaction going on uh, because no one's going to please you all the time. You know, and, and it can't be yes, dear, all the time. I mean, that's so seeing seeing a woman walking or a picture of a woman and being aroused, or seeing a, a picture of a man or uh, seeing a man walking a certain way, women may get aroused. Is that part of a healthy sexual feeling, or is that oh, you're maybe not getting enough at home, so now you're looking for it? Outwardly, well, first of all, I think it's perfectly natural experience. It's natural to to, to look and see another person and find them attractive. Um, yeah, there's a difference between finding somebody attractive and actually get feelings of arousal. In my opinion, um, I can see a lot of attractive people, but may not bring anything else. Uh, yes, on. you're absolutely right. Some people will create an arousal, and some will not. And I, that is, in my opinion, a perfectly healthy response. Um, again, as long as it's contained in, in a respectful way that doesn't violate other people's rights. Good point. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's just an old saying that I latched onto years ago. This is when you know, Confucius says, you know, a great lover is not a man who makes love to a different woman every night. A great lover is a man who can make love to the same woman for a lifetime. I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what makes really meaningful um, transformational mm-hmm. sexual experiences? You know, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the answer there comes when there's a lot of a passion and erotic desire that is contained within a relationship. And so, yeah, what is, what is really good sex? What is, um, fulfilling lovemaking? Um, and what is the nature of it? And I don't, this is not the same for everyone. Um, and people are going to have very different definitions of this. Um, but I think there's a very different challenge and a very different reward to working on long-term relationships and being able to maintain this tension between intimacy and desire and uh, developing an understanding that they are different and that intimacy can smother desire. And so that, you know, a, a couple in a relationship want to be able to find a way to, to strike some sort of a balance there. Yeah. Is it so that the majority, that, that a lot of the counseling that goes on with a therapist like yourself and couples is about the lack of intimacy and and eroticism? Well, I don't I don't find that predominant in my practice. Okay. Um, but certainly, when couples come in and yeah. they are struggling, yes, um, they will be struggling with intimacy, as we've talked about, about being close and being connected. Yes. And certainly, again, the symbolic center of the relationship being the, the sexual relationship, it will be manifest there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can happen in many different ways. Yes. Um, but again, I think that we can define a healthy relationship as one that has a healthy degree of intimacy, but also has a healthy degree of, of desire and um, sexual interaction. 
yeah. that is pleasing and rewarding to, to the people involved. Right, and that is then often missing when there is a miscommunication, when there is a, a fighting going on, then usually that is one of the first things that will go out the window. Conflict is one of the best ways to, you know, squelch desire. Yes. There's no question about yes. it. Um, there is the phenomenon of makeup sex, and sometimes people actually use conflict to generate sexual ah, encounters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of, you know, variables here. There's a lot of different aspects that this plays out. Um, but what we've been trying to talk about is this, this difficulty that long-term relationships will run into mm-hmm. and um, how really there is... The relationship does not, I mean, some relationships will just run their course and die out. Yeah, yeah. But relationships can be supported and nurtured by engaging in the process in a certain way. I think a lot of counseling, uh, I think, has has um, erred on the side of focusing on the couple and of focusing um, on the wrong issues. I mean, I think some of the brilliance of Esther Perel's work, Mating in Captivity, is this this challenge um, that intimacy and connectedness offers to erotic life. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. The couple I, I mentioned earlier, they weren't going to resolve their their conflict by getting on the same financial plan. Mm-hmm. They needed to engage each other emotionally, and in order to do that, they needed to calm down. They needed to get constructive rather than destructive, and they, they needed to find... Um, a stronger base within themselves to start to hear each other and connect to each other. Do you see, as we're talking about this topic, at where is the? Uh, do you see an increase amount of people having issues at a certain age level? Do you say it's no? It's it's. I see it already happening in the late twenties. Or do you say you know a lot of these issues are coming up in the fifties? In the late mid to late forties, you get that midlife crisis, uh, hormonal changes in both men and women. Uh, we were putting on some weight. Uh, there is the pressure of work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now with the economy, do you see in in your experience talking also with other colleagues and and doing the work um, that there is a certain age level that you see this happening more than others? My experience would be that it is across all age levels. Is it really that, that, that intense? I've worked with couples that in their 20s that were experiencing no desire for one another. Oh. Couples in their 50s. But they still want to work ex- on it. Experiencing that. Yeah. Um, quite often, if, if couples do survive, if they do get you know into their 50s and they got together when they were young, very often um, those people have found success. And they may be doing pretty darn well in a lot of areas. Yes. Uh, even much better than the younger couples. Um, so no, I don't find that. This you mean is, sexually, or just the way that the feet are sexually planted on in, the, it, in, uh, in all the in all ways, but certainly yes, yeah, sexually. I mean, this idea that you know uh, uh, your sex life is is best when you're in your twenties and thirties. I, I don't think that's how it really turns out to be. Very often, many people will talk about how their sex life became much better in their forties, fifties, and even sixties. Mm-hmm. That um, yeah, it is a lifespan experience, and, yeah. and, it, and it can continue if you have the desire and and uh, you're willing to work on it. But no, my experience is not that couples at different ages run into this, but simply that all couples do run into these challenges. Yes. That each relationship will pass through here. Mm-hmm. Very often, okay, my relationship failed because I don't have desire for my partner. Rather than understanding that your relationship will get to the point where your desire will suffer. 
and you, you will find yourself not desiring your partner much. That's true. And the question then becomes, can you work through that? I see. Not that that's the end of the relationship and that it's a problem. It's a part of the, of the, of the healthy, growing up, yeah. Of the growing up, of the development of the relationship over time. Yeah. My guest is Dana Mikkel. He has his own private practice uh, located on Ellis Street in Bozeman, 1648 Ellis Street, Suite 302. That is uh, the area right across from the Bozeman Deaconess Hospital. And um, you can contact him there at 587-8775, That is, uh, That's an interesting uh, comment that you, that you give here about... Uh, Yeah, about the relationships. It's, uh, I tell you what, Dana, it's, uh, there is a lot. There is a lot. I mean, this topic is huge because so many thoughts come to mind and I go like, is this a good question to ask? Is this a, this is a good comment? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, there are so many books written about the topic and so many books written about how to increase intimacy and increase erotic desire and, and there are plays and, and some people just say, you know, maybe we got to go on a vacation and, and find it over there. They are, uh, there is no, there are so many avenues to improve it. You cannot really say there is a right or a wrong way. It just depends. What what do you feel attracted to to work to spice up your life, so to say? I mean, would I, would it be fair to say spicing up your life is a good way, or is that only one aspect of the whole uh, of the whole uh, topic we're discussing here? Well, I think there there comes a point in time. One of the impasses that um, we've mentioned that a, a healthy relationship will pass through is this impasse of sexual boredom. Yeah, and when you start to deal with that specifically then you can talk about terms of, you know, like spicing it up. Again, that's where sexual, the whole issue of sexual attitudes come in because it may be necessary to broaden one's sexual attitudes in order to alleviate boredom. Right. Um, I mean, it's really a question of some of this process of elimination getting backed away from it. We're, we're entering more things into the what's possible. Yeah. So, yes, at some point. But again... If a couple is at that point where they can sit there and they can look at one another and they can calmly, genuinely engage themselves and, you know, and be able to say to the other, you know, w without vengefulness or any hatefulness, yeah, we really, we're really getting bored. Um, that, yeah, it, but in order to do that, in order to have that genuine heart to heart conversation that is going to be creative, You need these two cells that mm -hmm. can that that can engage one another, mm -hmm. that aren't fused, that aren't overly intimate, um, that aren't overly independent, that aren't reliant on the others functioning for their self worth or their their self esteem, uh, in order to work through that. Mm. Again, all the things that they would need to do, to talk about, to engage, to confront, they need certain capabilities in order to do that. And so that's why we've talked about bringing this back to the individual bring it back to a sense of self and that uh, that is just necessary to do the work to carry through to work through these these impasses mm -hmm. hmm. and it, when one can do that it's amazing when 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 that couple when he was able to drop his financial plan and stop and calm himself down and listen to her the the difference in the room was it was just incredible yeah Yeah. It, it, it changed the possibilities. The relationship continued to exist for them because she allowed him 
to have to express himself for a while. But then all of a sudden she said, that's it, because um, it's just... It, it's too much we, we don't we don't get past this issue and that's where i think the problem started she realized that he was not just expressing his the financial issue he wouldn't stop talking about it and all of a sudden it mean, meant like the relationship was moving in a whole different direction and had lost focus of where it wanted to go well to put it in some of the terms we've talked about today you know he was he was externalizing yes uh, his anxieties he was reliant on her acceptance of his plan this reflected self sense in order, in order to continue. I mean, he was desperate to get it. Um, but when he was able to let go of that, it required of him mm-hmm. a stronger sense of self. It required yes. of him his capacity to bear his anxiety, to be tolerant, if you will, of that difficulty. Yeah. And to be able to do that and, and hear her, mm-hmm. e- even though he didn't want to hear what she had to say. And in a way, he was putting up a wall so that he never did have to hear. Yeah. What she had to say. Yeah. But again, that individual work that needed to be done so that they could create a space mm-hmm. where they could come. It was very interesting. I, I, they, they moved away and then I, I, I got a call from her and a request that we could talk over the phone and, and it was, uh, kind of like, si- like a three way or a, no, just, just, she her, just wanted, she her. just wanted to talk. And it was very interesting because it was, it was a, uh, a, a problem that we had talked about over and over. Uh, that had to do a conflict between them and her family, or, or specifically him and her mom. And it was really interesting because she had fallen into the old pattern of talking to her mom about mm-hmm. the visit because it was so kind of fearful to talk to him about it. I see. And, you know, what what we came to in the work when we talked on the phone was that, well, you need to talk to him. Correct. You need to talk to him about and, and deal with the difficult feelings because he needs to be a part of making the plans for this. The problem has always been he's not part of this. Mm-hmm. But the difficulty was for her to stand strong enough and to be able to go to him and tolerate the uncomfort mm-hmm. of dealing with this situation head on. Mm-hmm. Not having come out sideways, mm-hmm. but deal with it head on to actually bring it up and, and hold that uh, that difficulty between them. And, you know, when you can do that, when you can go to your partner, you know, and it must have gone well because I didn't get another call, you know, and so I'll, I'll take that as, you know, it was, it was, she was able to work it out. Yeah. I've had this thought as I've been talking this morning that, you know, when you can go to your partner and have that kind of uh, process, when you can feel strong enough to, to expose yourself and um, be there with that partner, what could be more sexy than that? You're right. You're right. You and you know? see, we're not talking about whether you went to the gym today or, you know, you know, what size, you know, pants you're fitting into either. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, what makes somebody sexy, what creates an erotic space is this very complex web of factors. Yeah. Um, only one of which is really, you know, physical functioning. Yes. And that's also impacted by all these other aspects, these meanings and these values, these histories. Um, in, you know, in our models, what we watched as we grew up, you know, you've mentioned your, your parents a couple of times, are powerful yeah. influences on, on how we see relationships and how we, we go about being in them. Because we go about being in them in this pattern laid yes. down in the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, when we learned how to relate in the first place, which was with our parents. Mm-hmm. It is harder and harder these days for young children to uh, 
to grow up in one family because so many divorces are happening and so many uh, issues are coming up whereby parents say, well, we just have irreconcilable differences and we just, uh, we're going to do differently. And, and, and for a child that is, that, that, that has a very strong influence on the way that this child is going to look at this relationship and their own relationship with people as the years go by. Uh, they may say, well, pff, divorce is easy, or they may say, uh, no, I, I really want to hold on to it. So it's all these circumstances inside our lives and, and the way society portrays them that, that mold us, make us, hopefully make us, make us better people in the long run. And I'm just curious how it's going to affect the next generation. Well, you know, because if I look at my, my parents' generation and the people that I, the community I grew up in and looking at how it has changed, in one generation, I'm just curious how it's going to change in the next generation by the time the teenagers are going to be adults in our age. My thought is these are very complex questions. For instance, you know, if a child grows up in a family and the parents divorce, yeah. it, is that child more likely to end a relationship or, or work through the difficulties? Correct. Now, it might be that just the example, the model of the parents separating and not working out would cause that, that child to then act the same way. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there are many other experiences that child may have had. I mean, both of those parents might have continued to be very loving, healthy, strong people mm-hmm. that gave that child a strong sense of self, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. know, internally yeah. validated self yeah. that would empower that particular individual to work through a relationship. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's very complex and I don't think we can, you know, it's uh, not just, you know, connect the dots sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I do want to, I, I, I know we're coming at the end of the show, and I do want to say indeed that um, everything you say is so important, and I and I really appreciate uh, everything you, you give us. I do want to reiterate with people who missed uh, part of the beginning, one thing that I mentioned was if you are on medication, specifically cholesterol medication, uh, hormone medications, uh, um, antidepressants, Find the information about side effects, if indeed lack of intimacy, uh, uh, erectile dysfunction, things of that nature are part of the side effects because then you do need to talk to your physician and, and see if there are other options for you. But Dana, thank you so much for being here today. Great, great information. Very, very important. Jacobus, thank you for having me. Thank yeah. you very much. All right, folks, we will be back next week, Saturday. See you then.